Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit, but what is trauma, really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist, and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life. But my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma, to highlight its impacts, and most importantly, to help those who've lived through it to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents, and adults, trying to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot, and now you will too. But first, a trigger warning. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics, including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma, and suicide. If you don't think you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath, and come back another day. I'll be here. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and elders on all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold, and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture, and future, and I'm committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice, and creating opportunities to heal together. I pay my deep respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders past and present and acknowledge all Aboriginal children, young people, families and staff who I provide services to now and in the future. I embrace and commit to the spirit of work and self-determination, empowerment and reconciliation. The Trauma Tale started as a little passion project to entertain me during lockdown, but it's turned into something so much more than I ever could have imagined. I'm the host, the producer, the admin, marketing, content developer, social media manager and designer. I could sell the Trauma Tales, but that would mean that the anonymity of the people I interview wouldn't be as protected as it is now. See, it's only me who knows and I swore to protect the people who share their stories with you. But that means that I don't get to take in any of the network's funds either. So to keep the trauma tales running, I've launched a Patreon account for those of you who want more than just the regular seasons. Patreons will be entitled to discounted merch, extra content, and heaps more, like Q&As with me. So to help me keep this podcast going, jump on the link in the show notes and make a one-time contribution or a monthly subscription so I can keep sharing these stories with you and protect those who honour us with their tales. Day 8. I started off with a bang. I made it to breakfast this morning. I don't know why there is such a hustle. There's no serving, and honestly, apart from dishes, there isn't really any reason why it couldn't be open later. But I made it there. On time. I ate. See? Progress. I head upstairs and it's so early that it's too early for meds. I head to my room, make my bed, get dressed and fling open the curtains. Yes, before you ask, I attended breakfast in my PJs because honestly, who gives a shit? No one. I get my meds and my iPad. Excited gym guy and I were talking about artwork for his gym. I jump on the bike and we talk shop. 
gave me something to think about other than my sore ass. We settle on a design with a couple of tweaks and I head back upstairs. I settle into drawing, really, for the first time since I've been here. I've come up with a few things, but I really worked on the gym design. I engage more with the others around me and eventually head off to my doctor's. We chat about meds and we decide to be flexible on both morning and night ones at the same time. I mentioned my shitty heart rate to him and he decides that doing OBS is a good idea. Damn it. Neither of us could work out what was making it high in here, but he will keep an eye on it. We again talk about discharge date and I settle that I'm tracking well. To stay engaged in group and keep working. I get it. Then I come back and it's lunchtime. Soggy sandwich and lunch with the army lads. Karen introduced me to them. Some are new, some aren't. It's it's really incoming today. Lots of new faces. It's kind of hard to believe that was me only a week ago. After more drawing, it's time for group. What a fucking debacle it was today. There have been so many complaints about the father of the year and the old bunny that we spent the first 45 minutes to an hour of our session on group norms. Old Bunny didn't turn up at all and Father of the Year left when the new facilitator said we don't give others advice. Anyway, needless to say, only four of us showed up to the second hour and I wasn't going to do that, but I rallied. And thank fuck I did because it was the best group since I'd started here and actually had takeaways from it. I forgot that the last 15 minutes from the first session was the window of tolerance. Not my favourite topic, considering I have zero tolerance, hence not wanting to go back. Anyway, we start out with a continuum from overly competent to active passivity. We start to unpack each and a light bulb went off. That's me. I work from each extreme that I have to be the most competent, the most reliable, overachiever in my tasks or I lay down. But it's not on a continuum. And it's not just like a switch. There is space to breathe on either side and we need to manage that. And when we manage what we can do, we can manage how we respond, hence the window of tolerance. We spoke about how it's unhealthy and damaging to go from one side like a switch and how we often fall in our face if we don't go down the ladder rung by rung and just jump off. So these are the steps each side. But it dawned on me a couple of things. My body tried to tell me to stop shortly after my birthday last year. I laid down for a couple of weeks, got back to work and didn't miss a beat. Back to overly competent. When I was home, all my family received was active passivity. And for my dad, when I fought with him, he was just seeing me horizontal. It made sense. And then there was my biggest aha. And it was about how this continuum and my lack of tolerance were connected and then colliding and really making home a challenge because I save face when I'm at work. So why can I save face for work but not for home? Two reasons. Number one, I was taught all or nothing throughout my upbringing and I saw my parents flogging it or horizontal. Number two, it comes down to safety. I feel like I can crash and burn with those that make me feel safe. After that group, I had a new life. Everyone who'd left missed out, but I had gained more for it. And I'm not here for that. 
I joined a group of fellow inmates and for the rest of the Arvo I laughed and giggled at really stupid shit. On one side was a rough and tumble SAS lad who was wearing purple slippers and a pink jumper and on the other a chick who does donuts of the joint she's clutching in her handbag. It was lighthearted and fun and after my light bulb it was like learning to breathe all over again. I head back to my room and snuggle under the weighted blanket. I catch up. I catch up with my family and lay on my spikes. I've had a good day, a day of growth, a day of feeling lighter. Day nine, a really big fucking day. I woke up anxious. I had a meeting with Anya at nine and something tells me that today was going to be big. I received an email from work cover wanting a doctor to sign off on my spending spree, make an appointment with my doc over the phone, and then I call the admin cunts to say it needs to be via the phone because they are dumb as a box of grocks. Then they change the appointment time and the appointment length, and just before they hang up, I say, it's telehealth. All you had to do was change it to telehealth, nothing else, nothing at all. Idiots. Oh, it would appear that my tolerance isn't very high today. I have my meds and I get told I need to have an ECG. They do my blood pressure and arrange an ECG for later because I have appointments to do. Two minutes before my appointment with Anya starts, the stupid nurse comes in with the ECG machine. I just thought I'd try. I look at her like she's a complete moron and I start to log in to meet with Anya. The nurse stares at me. I ignore her. She slinks away with her fucking machine and the cord trailing behind her. Anya wanted to know what the joint was like. She encouraged me to go outside more. She wasn't stoked that we couldn't just peruse the grounds or have an open window, but she did push that I go outside more. Do my work from out there, perhaps, even if it's sitting on the driveway, in a gutter. Nice. Then we get to the biggest bone, the sorest bone, the rawest bone. She states... Suicide is not an option for you anymore. My heart, stomach and brain drops into a puddle and I clamour to try and stay in the conversation. I've said before that she's blunt, but that fucking hurt. For those very few and far in between, that's been a safety net for me, for my entire life. It's what I relied upon, but I never used. But I just felt better knowing that I have it. You know, like a winter coat that's too small or it's out of fashion and kind of smells funny, but you never get rid of it, you know, like that. My world has crumbled beneath me and after I say goodbye, I just sit. I'm shaking with anxiety. And I'm gutted that for the first time in my life, that can't be an option anymore. I don't even know how to move out of this chair. My world is shattered. I've lost a best friend. I sit. I try to shake the anxiety. I have to get an ECG done and I'm laid down on the bed like a piece of meat and the nurse just couldn't get it to happen. Inside my world has been churned and I just lay there. I try the gym to get some of my anxiety out. I just feel like I'm on a hamster wheel. 
I try to engage with people so the nurses don't write me up and withdraw again. I end up in class and it's the last thing I feel like doing. It's with Wally, who lets Father of the Year run his mouth for the entire session. Awesome. I walk out of the session, chow down some Diaz. I need to get out of here today. Karen decides that we're going out. And actually it was what I needed. I can't shake the feeling of loss, but I can get out of the fish tank for a bit of fresh air. We got Mexican for tea and I have a beer. It's against the rules, but honestly, I don't care. I sit opposite Karen pretending, saving face for a while. The external mask that's been out of use for a while. I smashed the food that was fresh and made only five minutes ago. Then we head back to the clinic and I sheepishly retreat into my room, have a shower and try to shake the day off. It's stuck to me like tar. I try to engage with my family and write this. I can't get it together. I have my meds at 7.30 and I hope this day never happens again. In this gift giving season, I want to introduce you to Mind Love. They're a hamper company, but with a difference. So most hampers are like about flowers or wine or chockies, robes and candles. And these are all really lovely, but sometimes you want something more personal for the person's needs. Mind Love is a hamper company about our mental health. So you can go to the website and you can either build a hamper from scratch and put anything you like in it from a huge range of products. Or if you prefer, you can select from an already curated hamper and their products are incredible. So I actually had one made for Frankie's wife when she had surgery. It was chock full of amazingness. I selected the ultimate pamper package because she really needed some relaxation and self-care time after everything that had happened in the last few months. She loved it. She told me it was exactly what she needed. And Mind Love isn't just for adults. They have heaps of products and packages for kids and teens as well. So if you want to give something to support someone you love, show them that you hear them and that you see them and help to normalize mental health, go to mindlove.com.au. That's M-I-N-D-L-O-V-E.com.au. Say hi to Jen for me. Tell her I sent you mindlove.com.au. All about prioritizing self-care and mental health. Day 10. I woke up and I was still in a shitty place. I fling open the curtains and make my bed. I still think this is the only thing that stops me crawling back in. Well, that and the 11 kilo blanket. I have my meds and scrounge around because I have an appointment with my doc at 8.30. Nurse was laughing because of my non-morning face dragging my heels up there. And yet again, I didn't make it to breakfast. I meet with my doctor, discuss my busy day yesterday and why I need more diazepam or diaz. He said to take it easier and space things out. He asks if I still think about suicide like it's gone away. It's still there, I say sheepishly. He looks at my meds chart and says it'll be a couple of days yet before I can pick up. I just describe the heaviness. And he insists that I just need to keep moving with the program. My wife had surgery today. Perhaps I'm anxious about it. 
I check in with a mate who's courageously stepped in my place for my wife. I cannot be more grateful for the help that we've had over the last few months. Just people that get you. Don't question anything, just help selflessly. I tossed down another Diaz after talking with my lad. My mate gave me a heads up that he was struggling. I hate not being there for him. We texted. He felt better and he made it through the day. I was really proud of him. I went and laid down. My tolerance window was not going to hold for father of the year. The nurses were fine. He knew it was a shit day and let me do it. I spent a lot of time in the jack room, drawing, talking shit, and trying to get myself out of my slump. I ditched lunch here today and I ate noodles instead. Dinner was so fucking foul, I needed a drink just to wash the shit down. I decided to go to a night class. It was light, a lot about mindfulness and calmness. And then finally, the end of another day that I never have to do again. Day 11. From here on out, I don't think there will be any easy days. And here is where faking it hits the road and becomes no longer a honeymoon period. Last night was a fucking debacle. Karen was tossed out with a couple of the others for getting drunk. Doors were flung open, drawers slammed, tears and tantrums and nurses on the brink. What a fucking first day for some of the newcomers. I'm glad this isn't normal, but it's fucking heavy. I'm just fucking lucky it happened to them, not me. I woke up today and I made breakfast. I attended morning meeting and I started a puzzle in the jack room. I met some newcomers who looked like I did a week ago, lost and confused. Both from another state, one a bit more screwed together than the other. I try to be like Karen was for me, a soft blow against the harsh reality of locked doors and prison windows. I go to the gym, have breakfast, and in the morning, meds, even have a few laughs. Took the nurse 20 minutes to sort the pink soldier's meds, so by the time I was there next, there was a crowd and laughter as the pink soldier, who at this point was pretending to have a heart attack, was solving it with paracetamol, which is what the nurse gave to a guy suffering from nerve damage. It was a nice start to the day. I attended group today too. Rallied a few more girls. Father of the year lined up, but he didn't attend. We studied gratitude. Again. We studied sleep. And it was okay. I asked the newbies if they want anything from the shops. They aren't allowed out yet. We talk about going to the night markets tomorrow night and not eating the shit food on offer here. I head off to the shops, eat some sushi and buy Lego. I head back, feeling slightly out of place in the real world. I call a family that had been calling for me when I was out. Shop noises are better than nurse chatter for sure. I still taste metal though. I'm restless. I want to leave now. Others are leaving. I want to be done. But my new normal is going to take some flight. I turn on a movie and start building my Lego. One brick at a time. Day 12. The day started with a giggle at the men's prison window. I missed breakfast again and it becomes the running joke that I only make breakfast if I shit the bed. I get to the gym and afterwards we settle into my puzzle in the jack room. One of the new girls and I are going to work on it. I'm trying to grow tolerant. The puzzle isn't helping. 
Throughout the morning, I weave in and out of common room time and dread for the bloody group. Oh, I forgot to mention the morning meeting. Oh, so boss nurse starts prattling on that the nurses won't just cut our leave, but we'll, we will discharge if we don't go to group because if you aren't doing that, then what are you doing here? She bangs on. Oh, love, I don't know. Med changes, getting sleep, not dying. That's why I'm here, you fucking dickhead. It's one of the lad's birthdays and three people are leaving. I head up to my dock and we're dropping nightmares like flies and I push just a little and ask to go home. I've just had a knot in my guts and I just, I just don't want to be here. He says, you can go whenever you want, but I'd prefer you didn't. Off I go back to my puzzle, dragging my heels. Lasagna for lunch because the only fucking sandwich is an egg and I'd rather eat my own cold vomit. And just when you think it can't get worse. Clearly a lot of people miss the cooked breakfast. I hesitantly get my shit for class, drag the newbies and father of the year. Oh, he must have fucked off because he doesn't make an appearance at all. The host for today's shit show starts going on about the recovery river. Ringing a bell? Yes. That's because we did the same fucking shit as last week. I go back to my room, get my actual journal slash notes slash class ponderings with the coloured in river from last week, and I get to decide whether I go to the second hour. Clearly, she didn't hear boss nurse, the cunt, because she threatens to throw us out this morning. I go back for a second round of torture. Not like I have anything else to do anyway. After class, we rally in the jack room. I discuss whether Smiley Kylie will venture with us to the markets, but come 4.30 and no sign of her as we head off. We catch up with Karen's mate at the markets, a recent addition and another frequent flyer. Built like a garden gnome and with the mouth of a fire-breathing dragon. She's lovely. We find us a motley crew and then we find a table and we discuss the ghoul on offer at the mental Hilton. I eat again from the Turkish food truck. Fucking delicious. Do another donut off the car park to see what their next meal is. I grab a box of cannoli to take back with me. We leave the garden room and head back. I give the nurses the cannoli and find Smiley Kylie all high and mighty in a princess position, downing tubs of yogurt. I tell her I've bought a dessert. She looks up like, oh, is it that time already? She's had a fistful of Diaz, so no wonder she has no idea what day or time it is. I go back to the puzzle, giggle, and sit in the common room for a while, then head back to my room for my Telstra hotline of calls I've avoided. My family. I sit so fucking close to the curtain, I hope it doesn't fall down. I make excuse after excuse of why I'm not home, why I didn't go back for my wife's surgery, why the hallways are so noisy, and a whole bunch more shit. My sister was good. More involved with their own stories and entertaining me. My brother, more inquisitive. Mum, just as bad. I ditch them and have the fun calls with my family. Watching action movies and all the pizzas. And friends who I did the dart to the prison window with. It was a good laugh. Good to see the outside world hasn't forgotten me. Validating that home will still be there in a week. I say goodbye to my darling wife. Rubbing my eyes and nodding off. I can't wait to be home again. Day 13. Ah, oh, I've made it to the teens. 
I'm on the downhill for my admission. I wake and trek the halls. Place feels smaller. Maybe I'm feeling bigger, feeling my non-existing boots again, crawling back into my shell that sat on the shelf for over a year, back into giggling, back into laughing, back into making others happy and enjoying being around others. I miss breakfast again, but I leapt down to the laundry and it's already full. I link up with one of the older ladies, taking charge of the laundry, being top dog, like in prison. But instead of knives and shanks, we use Valium and smuggled food as our currency. I wander aimlessly through the halls, into the gym, out of the gym, up to my puzzle, down to the laundry. I feel aimless today. I eventually wash my clothes, go to the gym, start one by one checking things off my list. I ditch the weekend class. One of the chicks stated, the weekend is my time, not for class. I have adopted this rule for today. I wander spend time with others, and eventually head back to my room. I chat with my friends and see happy little faces. I don't think it's ever been this long since I've seen them. Maybe not, but it felt like a long time. I sit, build Lego, think about what I have to get done before I leave, while I'm busting a gut to get out. Have I changed? What have I learned? Is it going to be any different? That last question leaves me cold. What happens when I return to the dark? Or will I return here? That is that thinking that means I still need to be here. What if I'm not done by Friday? I do not want to stay longer, but I sure as shit don't want to come back. I sit with this as long as I can. I then break for the door and get out of here. Uber to the shops in search of some sort of pampering. Wife's orders. I settle on a pedicure, massage chair and hot rocks on my feet and legs. Oh, and hotel, of course. I wander around, eat more sushi, get some food to head back to the clinic. I also grab a pink torch beanie for Big G, the pink soldier. I head back and give it to him. He loved it. Chucks it on and starts making wisecracks about inspections and offering free eye checks while blinding us all in the process. I start playing Scrabble and include Smiley. She's shaking and hard to follow, but she's giving it a crack. And I feel better for bringing her in. Just like I used to. I head back to my room. Still full from sushi, I skip dinner. I have snacks if I get peckish. There's still a pit from my earlier ponderings. On my way home, I get thoughts of my mate who's doing some tough thinking herself. It takes me a while to be able to digest, so here it is. I've been contemplating this thing as a walk to the surgery weight. Why do I alcohol stack? Why do we stuff it all down and not let what kills us out? Why do we keep someone else's version of us and their words driving our bus? How will I go back to being able to drink? What will this look like in the future? I've used it for so long now. What does a normal alcohol intake even look like? We've been learning in class about stuffing down emotions, and I keep coming back to what one of the facilitators does. Scale, 1 to 10. How am I feeling now? What emotion am I feeling? Where is it in my body? 
There is no why because we don't need to know why. It just is. Further from this, what is the need of the emotion and how do we achieve it in a positive way? Maybe I am learning here, but it doesn't mean I have it together. Lastly, others. Letting others drive our bus. Why am I so ashamed that I'm in here, that I can't let my family help? Maybe if they knew I was in here, the perfect image would have shattered and the relationships might actually become real. Maybe I could actually be honest about my mental health and be progressive and proactive with it rather than hide it, shoving it down until no one can keep me alive. Why does it get to this stage? Why can't I be honest about it? Will I get better if I don't? What will happen if I do? Who am I sacrificing these emotions for? These are the big questions. They all leave golf ball-sized holes in my throat while I'm trying to swallow my water. Will I get better if I cannot shift the shame? I FaceTime my family. I take them with me to get my meds. I climb into bed and try my breath work. Distract with TV for a little while. I've had meds. I'll be okay. But that's just my to-do list. Getting a tattoo can be a really intense experience. The smell is unique. The space is often exactly what our parents' greatest fears for our teenies were, and sometimes the people can seem intimidating. And this can make it really hard to go through getting that tattoo, especially if you've never done it before. Trauma Tats is a boutique studio where the whole experience, from the time that you call or message, to supporting you to develop your artwork, to making you feel comfortable and safe in the space, to managing big emotions that tattoos can bring to your aftercare, the whole experience is about you and meeting your needs, where you're at making sure that the story that your tattoo is telling is nurtured and honoured. With special care for those whose stories sit in the trauma space, you, your tattoo and your story are safe with trauma tats. If we've ever met or you've seen me online, you've probably noticed that I have some tattoos. If you ask me, I'll tell you about them. My tattoos tell a story, just like the ones that I share with you on the trauma tales. If you have a story to share or honour and want to do that in a space where you feel safe and respected, contact Trauma Tats, a professional tattoo studio, to work through what you've been through. Find them on Instagram or Facebook at TraumaTats1T and tell them Shan sent you. Day 14. I had a terrible night's sleep. Woken by an overachieving cleaner and her vacuum on a Sunday. Honestly, these people are the worst. Do they not know that Sunday's a day of rest? I wake up to a multitude of messages from my wife. She's been creating merchandise for my shop. I love her love for me and what I can do with my life. She's always encouraged me to do as I want. I'm so lucky to have her. I have my meds and she messages me about sushi. I shyly suggest I prefer to have sushi with her. She says yes. I prod her about her ability to come up with a drive. I'd love to see her and my lad, but I don't want to bust her open. I wearily head back to bed after I've made it and fling the curtain open. 
I rest and flick on some telly and talk to her via text. We've started planning for me to come home. What do I need to set up? What do I need available? What I don't need there? How this place has gone for me? What has she noticed? It's the deepest we've spoken since I arrived here. Actually, it's the deepest we've spoken for a bloody long time. I'm anxiously awaiting their arrival and the minutes are crawling by. I venture out to the common room, giggle and fuck around with the others. Pink Soldier has disappeared overnight and honestly, I'm not sure how I feel about it. How could I be sad about it? But I am. I enjoyed his company and his realistic point of view, from service to asylum. I ditch class again. Running on the ethos of the weekend is my time. And to be honest, I've done enough thinking, processing and discussing this weekend, which has been more than beneficial than a how to track your mood class. My beloveds break into the asylum to take me away. A few of my friends come and meet them as I whisk them away for cuddles. I spend the afternoon with them, eat sushi and buy Lego. But the holding hands and cuddles are so much more than before. It's so nice finding a reconnection. It's been missing for a while. It's a new connection. They drop me off with long hugs and kisses. I hate them leaving, but next time it'll be home day. Monday, Wednesday or Friday. It'll be soon enough. I head back to my room and work through my book, making notes, asking questions and start searching for the answers. I've said before, none of the days are getting easier, but I finally found some space in my brain to start thinking. If anything exciting happens between here and medtime, I'll let you know. Happy Sunday, y'all. I'll see you soon. Day 15. Today, I woke to my alarm, sprung out of bed after a decent night's sleep. I'm sure that this new med that I'm taking is the one for me, but I know that it's not a long-term solution. I huddle around the morning chatter and get my blood pressure taken. And it started declining. Thank fuck for that. I bounce back to my room, make my bed and flick on sunrise. Open the curtains and start to plan my day. Morning meet, doc, gym, breakfast, common room time, class, free time, dinner, bed. I start to get ready for the day, reviewing my homework and seeing if there's anything new to add with fresh eyes. I make morning meeting and even read the daily message. I'm halfway through when I realise it's all about Jesus and a golf ball hit in my throat. I finish it off and get ready for the dock, taking my notes and prepare for my sales pitch to leave early. He was down with it almost straight away and needed very little convincing. We've done the med change and I've had sleep. The two things he is in control of. The rest is with the program. I commit to doing the full day Wednesday and leave after class. We discuss work cover and what they should be aware of. They pay for it, I say. They should know the lot. It only convinces them more of my injury, you'd think. I head from there to the gym, to overexcited gym guy. I pedal through my time, wanting to leave early. Looks like I'm starting to cut corners, old habit. So I sit and finish it. I then head to my room and do more homework, come up with plans and see that they are stable and ready to go in real time. The doc agrees with me. Keep it simple. 
I'm a bit flat today, but moving forward. I'm thinking that now I have a stayed leave. I'm watching the clock even more closely and I start to pull away from the pack. I order Uber Eats purely because I cannot stand the smell of downstairs and it's been a while since I've stepped foot in the dining hall. I order lunch and dinner just to have it freshly made and dream of the shopping list for when I go home. I spend some time in the afternoon starting to pack and doing some washing, trying to figure out how to pack all my shit down so I don't look like I'm moving house. I'm nervous, excited to head home. I check in with the family over the day. I eat my salad dinner and engage with my mob. My flatness is that I've met some great people here and made some good connections, but I am busting a gut to go home. I settle into my room, look around at what to pack, settle in with some telly, get ready for some sleep for my last full day tomorrow. Day 16. It's my last full day here. I lay in bed until 8 o'clock, thinking to myself, I've almost done it. Just one more day and one more night. I start the walk to the prison window, thinking about how bloody terrifying it was to come here in the first place. I head to the morning meeting with my back to the hallway for the first time ever. I'm trying to push away from the youth worker instincts that are so heavily drilled in me. No hypervigilance, no receptors for flying off the handle, bumps in the night and phone rings. These are the things I want to work on, undoing the tightened knot. I meet with my psych and my wife. We discuss heavy things, positive things, going home things. All the fears and worries are written on my wife's face. A face that has looked free for the last few weeks again has fear across it. I hate that for her, but I know it's out of love. The psych simply puts, suicide is not an option, and briskly moves towards safeguarding, reassuring my wife that it is hospital at that point and not the burden to bear. If I go back down the rabbit hole into the darkness. It was good to have a joint session, working together, having discussions openly. I hope to keep this going when we're home. Time for honesty. And honestly, I can't do this alone anymore. I aim to keep daily summaries, especially from early on. I want to be able to see the transition and how I put things into place within my own home. I also need to add more supports to the belt. Keep my wife being my wife and not a band of medics keeping me alive. I finish up the call with the psych and call my wife. Check in on her and consolidate my to-do list. I head to the common room to shake up my environment. Interrupted by another patient, I hung up on her. I head to the gym and get that ticked off my list. I feel ready to go home, but a pit of anxiety, hoping that I can hold it all together. How I was with my son before coming here cannot continue, and I don't want it to. I miss what we used to have, but I am busting a gut to make a better connection and a positive home environment. I was not the parent I wanted to be, and I know that I can be. He deserves that. I head to get my last soggy sandwich and take it back to the common room. I spend more time in there. Head back to my room, weary from the morning session, and flick on some telly for a while. Group session's due to start, so I make a move. In true to form, a pack waiting for me at the common room to head to the group. 
I sit through the group on anxiety, feeling worse and worse until the hour is over. Normally group just bores me to death, but ironically, I leave a workshop about anxiety, feeling nothing but anxious. And this is where I've previously associated anxious to anger. Learning this has been a key for me. I need to catch it at anxiety and not let anger dictate. But I'm all over the shop. I'm trying to swallow golf balls. I miss the second session of catch up with one of the nurses instead. It's crazy. I'm fearful of fear because I know how I manifest it. I need to breathe through it and I have the skills to do so. Now I need to put it into practice. I hear on the grapevine that the pink soldier is back. Excited, I head outside to catch up with him. He's a mess. But I hug him hello and he sort of remembers me. I order Uber and wait forever for it to arrive. I buy shit I don't need while waiting and finish off a podcast. I eat alone, retreating further from the pack. But it's different to isolation. I'm not a fan of goodbye. So I'm not really good at it. I head back to my room, talk with my wife, keep packing and eating my dinner. One more sleep in this bed and only one more night to get going home right. Day 17. It's leaving day. I wake up with a spring in my step and just as I get ready to go get my meds, they arrive out like a rolled out red carpet. The nurse explains she needs to give it to me now because my chart is due to go up. Now I've had my meds, I've finished packing my gear and stripped the bed, just like I would do at home. Not like I want to get it back in it, but just tidying up loose ends. I wander around, checking in and out all the cupboards, drawers and bathroom, then twiddling my thumbs, I drag my shit into the common room. The nurses keep mentioning a room to hold my shit in, but they never highlighted where it was, so it just stayed out in the open. I do the morning meeting, say I'm grateful for my stay, but even more so to go home. A few others say they were grateful to meet me. Others being smart asses said they were glad to see me go. I go and meet with the doc who makes it clear that my current medication is not a long-term solution to my sleep, but he will give me some to go home with. He pointed out a note will be sent to my GP stating no more repeats should be given. Okay, I get it. He states I'm fine to drive and no further psychiatric care is required. Which for most of my questions. A few more but-if questions asked and answered and he politely but clearly states I hope to not see you again. He signs off my charts and states that I should be good to go soon. I head back down to the common room and a few people are circling around. A few minutes later, it's time to go. My wife is not allowed into the unit, so Smiley helped me with my shit to the front door. Oh, I forgot to mention that I saw Karen this morning. She was crying. She was a complete mess. I gave her a hug. I moved on my way not to get caught up in that vortex. Before I leave, I say goodbye to the pink soldier and a few others. We have a hug and a see you later. I jump in the driver's seat. It's weird being behind the wheel without driving for nearly a month. We head off to the shops, completing a new list of additions required for my transition, scripts, groceries, etc. We hold hands and have lunch together. It's fresh and new and a little overwhelming, but it's freedom of a new kind. Like my eyelids are open. We toddle around the shops, grabbing things we need and things we don't. Eventually, we head home. Oh my god, I've missed that puppy. His head bounding down the stairs and in for a cuddle. He was overwhelmed too. Multiple trips of unloading the car later. 
we put together lamps and unpack my bags. We start to find what is new and normal. Me up and doing things like helping hanging out washing. I realise how long it's been since I've participated in my own home. Right before my lad gets home, I swindle off to the bedroom. Just have a few moments of breath work, which is what I've mostly missed out of the day. I feel like I just ticked off the gym just by wandering and unpacking. I snuggle with my family, having them all together. I like being here. Being home. Tomorrow is a new day. I better get my schedule out because I have no idea what's on it. It's hard to stick to when it's away. I received multiple phone calls from family asking if I'm missing. No, just away and now I'm home. Mum said I sound better. I don't know what that means. I settle into the couch with my wife and my pop. My lad's laying next to me building Lego and making cupcakes. His busyness is directed and easy to be around. I'm not anxious, but I'm hoping I can sleep well. Whether it's for the night or forever, I have my humans and my puppy, who hasn't left my side. I was lucky. Lucky to have been alive to come home again. Others don't have that. I was lucky to have avoided the public health shit show. I was lucky to be able to go private. My story isn't over, and my fight isn't finished. I hold the hands of those that love me tighter than before. We aren't through this yet. But with them, I have hope that we will get there. Thank you for joining me today on The Trauma Tales. Now is a good time to go and do some self-care, especially if this tale resonated for you. If you'd like to reach out to The Trauma Tales to be a sponsor of the show or to come onto the show, please email the trauma tales, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. This podcast is a production of Shanna White Psychology.